Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Crypto Entrepreneurs Podcast with your host, Charles. Enjoy. What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 80 of the Crypto Entrepreneurs Podcast. As always, it's your host, Charles, and today we've got a great one for you. So today I'm sitting down with my man, Drew. He is a tax expert and founder of Archer Tax Group. I've actually had him on. I had him on last year, beginning of last year, to talk about cryptocurrency taxes. Today we're going to move away from that topic, and we're actually going to be talking about all of the business owners that he deals with and why everybody should start a side hustle. Uh, he's you know, really seen these guys grow from small businesses into big booming businesses over the years. Uh, and so he's got some tips and tricks for you on how to start a side hustle and turn it into a successful business. But before we get into it, I just want to give a special shout out to my sponsors. I've been talking about them for a while now. The first one is Roundly X. You guys know the spiel. They are the acorns of crypto. What you do is you link your debit or credit cards, and with each purchase, they round up that purchase to the next dollar and invest that spare change into Bitcoin or another cryptocurrency of your choosing. I highly recommend them. If you haven't already, go create an account. It's the perfect way to start dollar cost averaging into crypto. Takes the stress out of all of it. There is a link in the description below. And the second one, a little bit newer, is CoinFlex. They are the first physically delivered crypto futures exchange. I know it's a mouthful. They've got some really cool features that I'm amped on. The first being that they have some of the lowest, if not the lowest fees in the market, depending on how much flex you own. And they've also got these bracket order competitions coming up. I know I've mentioned them a couple times now. They are starting next week. Uh, they're going to be showcasing the bracket orders and giving away $10,000 a day. If you haven't already, sign up with the link in the description. Check out the site. Get your bearings straight. There's a little bit of a learning curve. And get ready to grab your share of the $10,000 a day that they're giving away. Now let's get into the episode. So Drew, it's been, I would say, about a year since we last talked. The last conversation we had was on crypto taxes, uh, how to reduce your tax liability, that sort of thing. Uh, so no need to get who you are if anyone wants to know who you are. Uh, I want to send them back to the previous episode. It was one of like the first five or ten that we did. Uh, so to yeah. anyone who wants to learn a little bit more about you know, crypto taxes, uh, head on back and check that one out. And it's a nice introduction to this episode. Um, so instead of your background, do you think you could just give us some updates, some life updates, what's been going on uh, since we yeah. last spoke? Yeah, so we, we've expanded a little bit. You know, We've got an official marketing guy now, so we've been doing a little bit more outreach and we've been doing some talking about creating an actual, you know, uh, business boot camp video series or something along those lines just to give people, you know, as much knowledge as they can to, to start and start well. Um, and, you know, we've been tracking, tracking the IRS and everything they've been doing with the, you know, cryptocurrency. They just actually put some updates out in 2019. There's really not anything that, that caught us off guard. I mean, I think the biggest thing is the fact that, you know, they, they actually recognize hard and soft forks. Um, and now you're supposed to treat your hard forks as if it's ordinary income, but I've got some uh, wild opinions on why they are incredibly wrong about that. 
maybe we can save that for another time. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, we can get into it if you really want to. The, I, I remember yeah. seeing some some tweets or something on Twitter about, you know, hard forks being taxed as income and how kind of absurd that can be. Um, right. And they went into like a little kind of example on how it can cause some major problems and headaches and get people into some hot water and owing way more tax than they really deserve to. Um, right. So, I mean, if you want to go into it, we can. If not, we can kind of just brush past yeah. it. I'll, I'll give, give you a quick 30 seconds on it. So cool. the, the big thing is, I mean, because you have to recognize it as ordinary income when you receive it, it's whatever the fair market value is. So you get a lot of people that had, you know, Bitcoin that they hard forked BCH onto. You really don't have any say whether or not there's a fork more often than not. And a lot of the people that received that BCH would have had a massive tax bill on top of it. They ended up sitting on the BCH, you know, for a year anyways. To me, there's not really a reason why you couldn't go about, um, you know, recognizing it as zero basis um, at the time of receipt and then just taking the full capital gains. You know, it's kind of to me like a stock split in a way uh, more than, you know, receiving something of, of value. So to me, there, there's some arguments I think you can make with the IRS. The problem is they put it in their, their writing, so we'll have to wait until a court case comes out before we can really defend against it. And I'm really not of the mind, you know, if you only got a couple thousand dollars worth of cryptocurrency, don't be the one that dies on that hill. Leave that for someone with, you know, much deeper pockets that wants to fight fight that battle. Right. I mean, we look at look at the split after that as well, and we look at the value of it compared to what it was when, you know, Bitcoin split and there was that Bitcoin right. cash that was sent out um, or that was received. Uh, and I, I think the price at the time was what, like a thousand dollars or something like that? Right. Well, I mean, you talk about, so you recognize that income tax-wise, if you sell it after the, the value tanks, you know, yeah. jump forward to 2020 here, all you do is generate a massive capital loss and you can only take $3,000 of that a year against your ordinary income and the rest carries forward. So you see a lot of people that they were super active in 17, they were a little active in 18, and now they've just kind of dropped off 19 and 20, kind of waiting for that, that uh, bull run to kick back up. And, and you're basically creating a massive amount of tax loss that people are either sitting on and the IRS is basically raking in extra dollars on top of, you know, an investor that took a chance on a new technology. You know, I think that kind of behavior should be rewarded, honestly. Um, and, and I honestly, I think it really points to their lack of understanding on the, the technical bits and pieces of, you know, how blockchain operates and how these cryptocurrencies, you know, interact in the space. Definitely. Um, there was because you said there was that major update. There was one other update the act that I actually spoke with. Um, I believe his name was David of CryptoTrader.tax. Uh, he mm -hmm. said that there's a specific question on the 1040 now. Oh um, yeah, it, something about have you ever owned cryptocurrencies or something like that. I can't remember the exact wording yeah. of it. So, so I believe it, and and I mean, don't don't quote me, don't at me on this. Basically, on the Schedule 1 form where you report all of your income, there's a little checkbox that says if you have uh, bought, sent, exchanged, received, um, or otherwise interacted with virtual currencies, which is the IRS's term for, for crypto, you know, check this box. Now, what they don't tell you is, I mean, if you're trading one wallet to another that you own, it's not really a taxable event. You'd still be required to check that box. So my tinfoil hat conspiracy theory brain i kind of got into a little bit of a, a twitter tirade on this uh about a week ago with some people i really think that that box is not necessarily them trying to say hey you know if you own crypto raise your hand so we can audit you 
I, I think that they'll, they'll run into some issues, especially, you know, if you've got savvy enough tax professionals that have already done all the documentation and been doing everything right. It's a pretty open and shut win for the taxpayer. To me, it's more if you're an individual that is deliberately not claiming your taxes and you don't check that box, well, that just means you filed a fraudulent tax return. It gives them all sorts of grounds to come after you. It actually opens up the statute of limitations. If you claim your crypto and you um, generate a liability, the IRS has 10 years to collect on it. You know, there's a couple things that change that a little bit. Now, if you were to file a fraudulent tax return, now you engage uh, basically criminal charges and there's no statute of limitations for them to come after you for that. So it creates this really interesting, you know, possible loophole almost for the IRS to basically have an unlimited amount of time to go after, you know, people who are deliberately evading, you know, crypto taxation just by not checking the box. So, you know, if you've got crypto out there, if you've even thought about Bitcoin really hard, you probably check that box and rather than not. Some of those things I think that will get a lot of people into trouble in a lot of big ways if they're not careful. Probably a better idea just to check it uh, yep. just to be safe, kind of save yourself some headache way down the line in the future when they want to come after you. Um, exactly. Exactly. Well, and then everyone, you know, seems to forget that the the chain is out there it's all public information exactly you get the right information and they can come after you and it's not hard to see that open open information no no i think uh everyone thinks oh yeah i can get around all of this very easily and hide from the government and evade paying taxes uh but i think once they sort of get in there they can figure it out pretty easily um like you're saying but uh okay so that was the little shtick on taxes um, you know, you see a lot of people when they file their taxes, they've started side businesses and side hustles. And so that's what I kind of want to talk about on this episode because yeah, it is the crypto entrepreneurs podcast, right? Uh, so can you just give us a rundown of like some of the most common side businesses that you see, uh, some of the most profitable ones, why you think people should start a side hustle, that yeah. sort of thing, just kind of the all encompassing side hustle episode. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this, this is a, a, you know, I'll, I'll plant my flag on that hill and, and, and die for this one because I, I think everyone, you know, everyone blanket statement should have a side hustle of some sort. The, the trick is to not have it be, as the IRS consider it, a hobby business. You want the side hustle to be a legitimate enterprise. Um, and there's a number of ways that you go about that. And the main reason is, you know, even if you lose, money in your your side hustle that will offset your other ordinary income and you'll actually get some tax benefit from that now there's a lot of things that you know i call them w2 w2s w2s you know no longer get to write off of the tax cuts and jobs act you know you think about so you get paid your salary they take out your income tax your your employment taxes you don't really get to take your cell phone bill as an expense even if it's required for you to, to be you know, able to be contacted. You don't get mileage. You don't get a home office. You don't get all these things. So there's a lot of things that people are, are, are paying out of pocket for that you know would be legitimate business expenses. You don't really need to, to just dump a bunch of money into a business. There's probably quite a bit of money you know, that's actually getting left on the table just by you know, what you spend on your day-to-day. So to me, starting a side hustle even if it's not going to completely take over your normal you know, nine to five job as far as income goes, you might as well get those tax benefits out of it as well. Um, you know, I think about anyone that goes to these crypto conferences, there's some expense right there, whether you're going, you know, in a, a capacity as a, an employee for somebody else or, you know, trying to, to, to move the side hustle. But, you know, one of the ones that we see a lot of, um, and I think a lot of people kind of discount right now because it's not really super profitable is, is crypto mining. 
if you're able to to run that miner at break even or even a little bit of a loss, you're actually able to, um, like I said, take in a bunch of expenses, your cell phone bill, home office, the equipment, all of that, and you can stack stack Bitcoin and wait for it to go up. And, and you're still getting a tax advantage in, in the year that you're actually running it. Maybe you're cashing out that Bitcoin, you know, year, two, three years down the road when there's a massive capital gain. And it actually ends up being a lot better than, you know, just buying the equivalent Bitcoin today and, and having that be your basis. You're, you're better off mining it, actually. Um, I think a lot of uh, people honestly could start some sort of service-based business. Um, and I would really encourage people to, to really kind of consider, you know, and we can dive into this a little bit more, you know, as far as like tips for people starting up. Try to keep your overhead as low as possible. Um, don't really get engaged in something that's going to cost you a ton of money out of pocket to get started. There's a lot of potential consulting, programming, even doing TaskRabbit, you know, is at least something to get some money in the door to be able to write off mileage in your phone and things like that. Um, but, but just be intelligent about it. Don't buy things for the sake of buying things to start a business. Start lean and, and, you know, figure out how you can actually bring in money from other people. The mining one was actually, is actually pretty crazy because I, I never thought of it like that and that you could, you know, have it as a business, um, which would then save you some money on some taxes. Everyone just thinks, you know, the electricity, how much you can sell your Bitcoin for, is it profitable? No. Okay. Let's not do it. Um, yeah. But there's the whole tax side of things uh, that really can play to your advantage there, even if you are mining at, you know, break even or potentially a loss. Um, oh, yeah. One thing I, I want to ask you about is you talked about, you know, make sure it's a legitimate enterprise versus a hobby business. Can you go into the difference between the two and in the eyes of the IRS? How are they different? Yeah, absolutely. So a hobby hobby business is... Something that you're not really doing a ton of work on, you know, it's, it might be, you know, oh, I like to paint, you know, pictures and I do it, you know, once a year, I only sell, you know, maybe a couple hundred bucks to a thousand dollars worth of, of art. The IRS basically says any kind of hobby business like that, you can take your losses up until you hit zero dollars. They don't let you actually take loss against other income. There's been a number of court cases, um, through the IRS and, and the most famous one, I forget the you know commissioner versus whomever, but what it boils down to is there was a, a doctor's wife who was uh, running a dressage stable out of their home, but she never boarded anybody else's horses. It was only their horses. They only went to a handful of shows. They weren't really competing for any kind of prize money or, or doing any of the like studying fees or anything like that. So there was not really any kind of economic incentive for them to do this, but they would take that and they said, oh no, this is a legitimate business. And the, the taxpayer would write that off as an expense against the doctor's income. Well, the IRS wasn't wasn't having any of that because yeah. they're basically saying, no, this is like you're truly a hobby. Yeah. We don't care that you, you know, sunk $200,000 into a fancy ass stable on your property. You're just trying to, to deliberately avoid taxes. And, and this is a hobby. So they disallowed all of the loss um, and they ended up having to pay a, a massive tax bill. So, you know, it, as in all good things with the IRS, 90% of it is documentation. So they said, you know, you need to have a business plan. It can't just be, uh, you know, fill in the form kind of business plan. You know, show us that you put some thought into it. You should probably start an entity, which is, you know, a lot of the different um, LLCs, depending on what state you're in. I mean, California, it's 800 bucks a, a year for an LLC. Here in Colorado, it's 50. So you kind of have to make that location dependent. But just show them that you put some thought into it and you're putting actual effort into running this as a business, even if it's not 100% of your, your income. 
Got it. Okay, so I'm trying to think, you know, that still sounds like a bit of a gray area in a sense. Like, you know, I I host a podcast. It's my right. one of my businesses. I do get paid for it. There are expenses. That could also be considered a hobby to some, you know, I podcast as a hobby. Uh, so where where do I fall into, like, which category do I fall into here? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I would say, you know, just with the amount of work and, and the shit posting that I see you do at two in the morning on Twitter, <laughs> I think we could make an argument that you're putting in a substantial amount of work. You know, I would say it's probably worthwhile, you know, especially if you've got sponsors now, to, to form some sort of entity and, and you know, treat it in that regards. And you're investing in equipment, you're hopefully going to, you know, conferences and things like that. You, you just need to prove that you're, you're treating this as a, as a business, not just as, oh, every... Every two months, I crank out a podcast. I mean, you're 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 doing way more than that. You're you're engaging in this as a, as it is a business. Now, there's not like a, oh my gosh, you know, if you're not working 80 hours a week, you know, grinding it out, you're not a legitimate business. Yeah. You you have to show them that you're trying to create revenue. You're not just you know running this for the sake of running this and not not bringing on sponsors, not attempting to grow the business or the the viewership or anything like that there we go okay so it's just it really does boil down to the documentation of it because i mean like you think about it a lot of people do make these sort of side businesses out of their hobbies uh you know right painting making music podcasting little things like that making jewelry you know it can be considered a hobby but if you set up the proper documentation is what it sounds like is what really takes you to that next level um so, okay, there we go. We got that. Um, you know, we, we kind of talked about the service-based businesses. Um, do you think you could give us a little bit more on how to get those set up? Because you said, hey, you know, just keep your overhead low. Uh, but right. let's, you know, what's what's the best way to go about starting one of these guys? Yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, I, I come from a very, like, research-oriented background. You know, we're, we're very much into tax law. So to me, you know, before I would engage in any kind of business, and, and we even did this when we started Archer, um, you know, we tried to figure out what what the market was kind of looking for. You know, should we go general? Should we be niche? Should we, you know, charge a flat rate? Should we charge hourly? Um, you know, what what do we want the, the firm to be? Um, honestly, I, I would try and figure out, you know, what your competition is. I would figure out what your cost per unit, whether it's a tax return or a ring or Maybe you're making chocolates or something like that. Break that down and, and have not just a static um, list of expenses, but look at your your actual um, per unit costs on top of your operating costs. I mean, do, do you need to have insurance? Do you not need to have insurance? Should you have an LLC? Should you not? Um, and just figure out what it's going to take for you to do something safely and correctly and then add in actually bringing on clients and, and make sure that there's a client base out there. You know, we, we really dug into and tried to work with the truck drivers starting out. And we found that this wasn't really a good client base. Um, you know, they had a lot of tax needs, but they didn't really want to prioritize the services. They really don't do well with paperwork. Um, and they really don't don't have a ton of extra money to, to pay for kind of that premium service. And that's when we started to get into crypto a little bit and, and found that it was a much better fit as far as, you know, we were culturally, the, the clientele was a lot better and a lot more organized. And it's a lot easier to track things down the blockchain than trying to get a receipt that may or may not exist under someone's you know, seat. So it's one of those things, you know, I mean, do do some due diligence. Don't just, you know, jump in and say, today I'm going to open up an Etsy shop and we're doing drip crayon paintings that we're selling. There's like 50,000 of those. Yeah. And I'm not saying, I mean, if you're, if you're the best drip crayon or drip crayon 
maker out there, hey, go for it. You know, bring something new. It's probably going to be a long road and a huge battle uphill. Um, honestly, the best piece of advice I ever got from a business mentor was figure out, you know, if this is going to be your full-time thing, what does it take for you to bring in $1,000 worth of revenue? And is that repeatable and scalable? That's a really good benchmark to figure out how do you bring that value? So if you need to replace, you know, $35,000, $50,000 worth of, of salary somewhere, you have to ask yourself, do I have the ability reasonably within a week or two weeks or a month to bring on, you know, three to five clients a month at that rate? And what is it going to cost me to bring those clients in? Figure out what your acquisition cost is, figure out how you're going to market and, and really do, do your due diligence. These are all wonderful. You know, I, I think every business is a little bit different and I've talked to, you know, 80 plus entrepreneurs now, uh, but they all say something along the same lines. It's, you know, figure out your competition, do your due diligence beforehand, figure out when you're going, like when it's potentially possible to become profitable. Uh, and then a big thing that we've all talked about is when do you quit your job? Uh, and right. if you can quit your job and it took me a while to actually get to the point where I was like, you know what, I'm going to quit my job. Uh, and I wasn't making up for the salary that I was giving up. Uh, I was actually, you know, when I first started it making much less, uh, the Amazon shop was much smaller. I didn't have any podcast sponsors, but I said, you know, if I take six months not working eight hours a day, I can get to more profitable and make more than I'm making at my current position. Uh, but that was a huge one to kind of wrestle with. It took me, you know, four or five months to even put in my two weeks. Um, oh, yeah. But no, those, those are all like, you know, great kind of starting points. Uh, there's a million things that go into starting any kind of side business. Um, so we could talk for, you know, five days straight if we really wanted oh. to. Oh, for sure. Well, we've always kicked around the idea of just, you know, opening up a phone line and recording the conversations and just say, anyone with business questions, give us a call and just get that information out there. Because there's there's no wrong way to start a business with the exception of saying, I'm going to borrow, you know, a million dollars and then blow it on. No plan, nothing, <laughs> no idea. That, that is a very wrong way to start a business. I think a lot of ICOs did that in 2017. Oh, yeah. 100%. They just slapdash something together. Um, but I mean, honestly, you know, when we... My wife and I made this decision for me to, to jump into Archer full time. I mean, there was a little bit of, of, you know, kind of worry of, you know, how do you replace that income? And you're right. It is some of those things that, you know, you can only meet certain hours of the day and do phone calls during the day that you can't do if you're working nine to five for someone else. And, and it gets to a tipping point, but you have to make sure that you've got a spot to, or should say you've got a landing spot to say, hey, I've got some savings I can live off of for a month or two. Yeah. I think a lot of what gets entrepreneurs in trouble, we're seeing this kind of in the hemp space right now, is you get these guys that say, I'm going to be a hemp broker. I'm going to make a million dollars on a, on a deal or a trade, not realizing that there's like a six-month lead time to actually close anything. <laughs> and these guys are like starving to death, and they're they're scrambling around for 500 bucks here and there, and they're taking on work that eats up a ton of their time. And it's not worth it. At the end of the day, you're losing. But it's really hard to say no to $500 or a thousand dollars here and there when you've got nothing to lean back on so that would be my other you know really big piece of advice would be look if you know that you're going to be you know going into this and you're going to be moving from full-time to you know side hustle to full-time hustle have a little bit of a cushion or you know if you're fortunate enough to be you know married to someone who's got good income talk it over with them and say hey do you think you can kind of carry carry the weight here while we get this up and running 
and have an idea of, of you know reasonably what your lead time is to get up and running and use that to motivate you. It's yeah. amazing how how much harder you work when you're hungry um, as opposed to, oh, I've got a cushy job and I don't really need to leave it. Yeah. Um, it, it takes a real special kind of you know crazy person to, to leave the, the comfort of a, a nine to five job working for someone else to, to work 80 hours a week for yourself. You know, there's a quote somewhere that's, you know, the entrepreneur is the only person who's willing to work 60 hours a week for the first 20 years of their life to maybe work 10 hours a year in the latter years of their life. You know, you just don't give up. And that yeah. perseverance is what carries, and to me, that's the make or break. Completely. If you're willing to dig in and, and try and do and refuse to say no, and, and the idea of going back to working for someone else you know, might be necessary, but, you know, it feels, feels like prison. Those are the people that tend to stay self-employed. Those are the ones that are willing to build the skills and, and do the networking and get out there. Um, and, and, and make it happen. You know, if it's just kind of a fair weather thing, then you end up doing doing your Etsy business and then realize that you can't sell your dream catchers. Probably not for you. You know, not to, once again, I'm not trying to knock knock the crafty people out there. No. Uh, I'm not one of them, but, you know, it's just one of those things, you know, make sure you know what you're getting yourself into. Don't, yeah. don't jump into a pyramid scheme. Don't jump into somebody else's business that promises all these things. Get out there and get it done. You know, be your own boss and, and hold yourself accountable too. Yeah, I mean, with with regards to the Etsy stuff, you know, it's it, it's um, you can keep your day job and still have this side hustle. But we are getting more into the okay, I'm gonna quit now. Uh, and a right. big thing for me was I mapped out, you know, all of my expenses, what it was, you know, what I could get by on for a full year, uh, and I waited until I had that much money saved up uh, before you know, quitting my job, which was kind of the prep time that I took, I needed to buckle down, save up a lot more. Uh, so you really do need to hone in and perfect your budget and really understand what your monthly expenses are going to be before jumping right. out of the job that's paying you consistently. Uh, and then, you know, you're so right. I, I watched my savings start to kind of dwindle down as mm -hmm. I was continuing to build the podcast up. I was starting to continue to network and put the feelers out there for sponsors. Uh, and as soon as I started seeing it get to, you know, the lower end where things are starting to get a little bit, you know, crazy. Uh oh, like I got to start worrying. That's what really lit the fire under my ass. When right. I really started doubling down on making sure that I can become profitable in the podcast. I started bulking up the Amazon store as well. Uh, so it really did, like you were saying, light a fire under me uh, that pushed me to become more profitable so that I can start bulking that savings back up uh, and then investing again. Now, you know, we kind of talked about the smallest way to start. You can start with a little side business as you're working. Uh, you can quit eventually. Uh, and one thing that you talked about was you don't want to raise a bunch of capital or go into a bunch of debt with no plan. Um, right. And I think this industry, you know, is so many of these businesses are built on raising capital. Uh, right. And that's what kind of slingshots them to success. Uh, so can we maybe get into, you know, proper techniques for raising capital, what you yeah. can do? Because I'm sure there are people listening to this who are like, you know, if only I had X amount of dollars, I could start this perfect business and it would be so profitable, uh, but they don't have the funds. So can we get into yeah. that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we've dealt with a number of projects. Um, half of them are self-funded family funded some of them get you know convertible notes some of them go off and, and try and do a raise you know I, I think really the ico methodology is, is kind of basically 
died and gone off for the most part. The cost to get in and do that um, is, is so high with the SEC being on everyone's neck. And it's so hard to get traction in international markets to, to raise that. So for, for those in the crypto space still thinking, man, I can get $300 million of, of ICO you know, cash coming in. Probably not. So I would just like preemptively take that one off the table. Um, for those businesses that need, you know, let's call it twenty-five to seventy-five thousand dollars to start. You know, maybe you need to actually get a retail space, get some inventory, something along those lines. I've found that it's a lot easier to raise raise with family and friends um, or try to sell pre-orders. So you kind of talk about that point where, you know, and, and then this is a, a lot of the beef that I see with some of these, these people in the space that try to start a business but don't really come up with that business plan and haven't thought through the numbers and haven't thought you know worst case scenarios and run multiple models you know excel will be your best friend like i said figuring figuring all that out is going to make a huge difference for for success but if you're able to to articulate you know hey i've been you know manufacturing uh cryptocurrency rings that that store your key kind of thing the whatever Make sure that you can sell a couple of those first and then go to family and friends and say, hey, look, this has gotten some traction. You know, I, in order for this to be really successful, you know, I need to buy more equipment. So to help me crank up more of these, these rings or these bath bombs or, you know, what have you. And then we need to get them in, in front of people. Have a track record of at least some success. You're going to get a lot more reception from, from the community, from banks, from investors, if you can show that you can actually do what you're talking about. I've worked on a number of projects where, you know, people want to raise three, four million dollars and they've got projections and they've got some experience, but they don't have experience running, you know, this specific kind of business. A banker and investors will look at that and say, how are you going to even guarantee these numbers that you've made up out of nothing? You know, don't just show me numbers that are projections with, with no backing. Show me how you're going to actually grow and what's your strategy. You know, what experience do you have? So for those looking to, you know, full-time hustle into something, try to stay in something that you know, stay in something that you can, you know, reasonably show your authority in that isn't so far of a stretch. You know, I, I wouldn't say that I would ever open up an ice cream shop. I, I could probably run one. Terrible idea. You know, it's a, a business that goes goes down pretty quickly. I, I probably wouldn't make my own ice cream because I don't know how. And uh, I don't really want to work, you know, until nine o'clock at night. And, and it's a very capital intensive business. You've got all the fixtures, you've got the real estate, you've got stuff that you've got to hire and train. You know, make sure that you individually can run what you need to run, unless there's some sort of cash flow, you know, baked in. That's why you see a lot of investors looking for real estate packed plays right now, is because they know at the very least, if the business goes under, they can seize the property underneath it. So there's things like that, you know, try to have assets in line, try to have either cash flow or something that you can have an actual track record on, um, and, and really, really know your stuff inside and out. Don't just be taking projections. Try to get as close to real numbers as possible. And, and to me, that that means, you know, if you've got it starting as a side hustle, everyone should start the side hustle. Don't just jump into a full-blown thing and have no idea unless you're, you know, acquiring another business that they're going to stay on and help you out with. You know, I think a lot of people try to reinvent the wheel in a lot of ways. Um, sometimes there's businesses for sale that you can just jump in and, and finance off those, those cash flows, get the help of the owner, have a structure in place, and then take it over and grow and expand. And I think that's where a lot of entrepreneurs make some, some bad, bad calls is they inherently think that they can expand and they finance based on the expansion, not based on current cash flows or shrinking cash flows. Um, and, and they get themselves into some real trouble. Yeah, so a lot talked about there. Uh, just touching on that last point, um, or the last couple points, I would say, 
with regards yeah. to cash flow. You know, I, I worked at a bank. Uh, it was a very traditional bank, middle market bank. Um, and tr- projections meant nothing to us. It was, you know, it, for any traditional bank, you're going to, for the most part, need a couple years of um, financial statements. And that's pretty much what the decision's made off of. Obviously, for this smaller stuff, it's a little bit different. Um, you might need to give up some equity. You need to raise with friends and family. Uh, so not so much, I guess, my wheelhouse, just because I've kind of self-funded this one, haven't taken on any sort of debt or anything like that. It's pretty easy to start a podcast, not a lot of upfront costs. Um, right. But no, I, I think you touched on a lot there. Um, I, I'm just trying to think, you know, what the most important takeaway from that would be. Um, you know, if you have to sum it up in a couple sentences, what do you think the most important thing for raising capital is? Yeah, so I, I would say be able to, to show the story and the vision. Um, and, and like you said, that the projections don't mean much, but if you come to the table with no projections or, or without a deck or without showing some sort of effort, people are going to immediately discount you. It's really hard to convince an investor to give you money if you can't show them that you've been prepared. Um, and, and just know know your stuff inside and out. Don't be caught off guard and be able to firmly articulate what you're trying to do and how you're going to get about or how what the capital is actually going to do to help you accomplish that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I um, oh, I forget the business my buddy was trying to start, but it was just like such a grand plan. There was nothing put into it. And we sat mm-hmm. down and talked about it one day. He's like, I, I think it was like a, a media company or something like that. And I was like, he's like, yeah, man, I really want to start this media company. Like, you know, I'm pretty well connected in the industry. I know a lot of people. And I was like, okay, well, do you have a business plan written out? Like, what's your, what's your plan? I asked him a couple questions. He's just like, I don't know. Like, I haven't gotten that figured out yet. No, I don't have a business plan. And it's like, if you're starting with nothing, nobody's going to take you seriously. Like I wasn't thinking about even funding him and I'm laughing at him. Like you're going to get nowhere with this. And that was two plus years ago and still nothing has happened with it. Um, So I think to kind of get that business plan out, get your vision. um, The projections are kind of important. I would say less important in my opinion. Um, Without any of that, you're just not going to get anywhere. So I appreciate that you kind of brought that up as the most important one. Um, So we've talked about, you know, your updates. We've talked about side hustles. We've talked about raising capital pretty much step by step trying to, you know, kind of build up this whole conversation and story. Um, So I appreciate you going through all of that. I always like to ask my guests this. You remember this from last interview, I'm assuming, uh, is what you're most excited for in the coming 12 months. Um, do you have yeah. anything big in the pipeline? Oh man. So we've got all sorts of stuff. So one of the things that we've been, yeah, no, no rest for the wicked. So we had a, our first kid five months ago. And so I'm doing all this very sleep deprived, but you know, no, like I said, really no rest for the wicked. Um, we've gotten really involved in the hemp and CBD space. And I see a lot of really fun emerging technologies, not even just in the like CBD oils and stuff like that. I'm talking like biofuels, plastics, you know, things that are going to be interesting. So, We've kind of come on the back end and just help a lot of these firms get research and development tax credits and, and kind of plug into that space a little bit. Um, but being out here in Colorado, we're, we're in one of the epicenters. You know, Oregon's another really big area for it, too. Um, but I see a lot of, of really good transformational change. You know, everyone talks about you know, caring about the climate and things like that. And you know, we've banned plastic straws pretty much everywhere. 
what if we were able to have plastic that actually disintegrated after 45 days and if they're having it you know applied to moisture or anything like that that's huge huge game-changing stuff um i think the crypto markets will eventually heat back up um to me i'm, I'm looking forward to seeing you know really what happens with the happening you know, to me that's going to be a very interesting you know um case study in cryptocurrencies and seeing how the market's going to respond to an event like that and also you know seeing some of these eth 2.0 updates they've been trying to work on for the last couple months i have a, a, a feeling and an expectation that we're going to see some scaling happening with eth which is going to completely change how people interact with the apps and the dApps and things like that um so for me those are the kind of things i'm, I'm really looking forward to and then you know, really just watching this hemp step take off has been been a lot of fun. So you crypto and now CBD and hemp, I feel like uh, those both had these huge bubble like booms oh, and yeah. busts. Um, I'm hey. not sure that the CBD bubble has technically burst yet, but I feel like that could be potentially coming. Are you worried about any of that? I, I'm like a little so, bit far removed from the CBD game. Yeah. So. No, it's it's all good. So so to me, you know, we kind of got into it because we realized the risk profile was about the same. You know, the yeah. same person that invests in CBD is investing probably in crypto. Um, you've seen a like, huge slide in the like the spot prices for like hemp biomass and the like, CBD isolate and stuff. They've all tanked. Yeah. We're not looking for those businesses. You know, we're not trying to flip flip hemp in that way. Mm-hmm. You know, we looked at a couple different things where you know we've worked with some extraction labs out here in Colorado to help them source the material. Um, but they've got exits already in place to move product into like Europe or Japan and things like that, where we know what our exit price is going to be. So we don't have to worry about the slide. We actually welcome it. We've got a contract. We don't care if the market goes down. Um, the fun thing about CBD specifically is you've got like CBD, you've got CBG, you've got CBN. I'm sure we're going to get to the point where there's a, they find a CBZ. They all do different things and they're, they're all different parts of different plants of different cultivars and things like that that there's just all this new discovery left and right. And there's a lot of potential medical properties within CBG that it's a huge antibacterial, um, there's antibacterial camp components to it and things like that. So there's a lot of interest in the medical community for that. So I think that like the consumer demand for CBD products is probably falling off to the wayside, but we've seen some inventive new ways to repurpose some of that stuff into things that actually solve a lot of really interesting problems um both from a medical perspective you know and a relaxation perspective to you know even like i said that the biofuels have got me pretty excited as well we yeah, actually we talked can. to a group group of guys that, that were genetically modifying bacteria to secrete cbd so that you could have basically an infinite grow season out of a tank that because the the um organism could eventually be certified as organic you could get organic cbd basically on tap with no other bits or pieces in it like that's a huge change from how they process it down from plant to to oil that's unheard of yeah um so relating it back to crypto kind of like this huge boom and bust and then there's these kind of outliers that are actually doing game-changing revolutionary stuff that right kind of you know once the bubble pops uh, everyone kind of puts their head down, does a lot of work, research, that sort of thing. Um, and these new technologies kind of come out of that boom and bust. Um, Absolutely. So you, big, big things on your end. Congratulations on having the child uh, yeah. five months old. So that was definitely, you know, in between the time we talked last. So congratulations yep. there. 
Um, I do want to just wrap it up with one last thing. I always kind of like to ask for the biggest tip. You gave us your kind of most important thing for fundraising. Uh, now can you just give us your biggest tip on starting a business? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think if, if I were to like to distill it all down, like if you're going to do nothing else but this, do this. Research, network, connect, find people that you can ask questions on. Don't be afraid to ask. Anyone that's started a business or, or is you know, successful in their side hustle remembers what it's like to be that, that new person. We all want to help out. I can't tell you the number of hours that I've just given away just talking to people that want want help and have questions that I don't charge them for because I remember what it's like to be, be in those shoes and starting out. And I had some really great mentors that kind of took me under their wing you know, that I met networking at, at some random meetup event. And, and it was one of the best things that, that I could have ever done because it gives you a perspective and, and you can commiserate with people that are in, in the struggle as well. Other people working just in W2 that, that aren't taking that plunge and aren't entrepreneurs, they do not understand the mental game that comes with owning your own business. And sometimes it feels like you're working way more hours than, than you would working for someone else. But the freedom that you get is, is just so sweet. It very much is. And that's why I don't think I will be ever, ever going back to a traditional nine to five. Um, I think, here, I'll here. Fi- yeah, you know, even if the <laughs> podcast fails, crypto goes to zero. Uh, I get beat out on my Amazon store and everyone's selling stuff at a cheaper price. I will figure something out. I will find something new to do. I am not going back to working for somebody else. Well, and and I mean, it it was great. I mean, I took almost two months off on paternity leave and just followed up on emails here and there because it was kind of the off season. But I I was thinking the other, you know, the other day of, you know, oh, I'm coming in late to the office again, putting it at 930 instead of nine. If I was working for somebody else, I'd get my my ass chewed out. You know, why are you late again? Dude, I got a kid at home. He's sick. I can prioritize my family and still keep all of my plates spinning. So yeah. there's a lot of freedom to it, but there's a lot of responsibility too. Oh, I was going to say there's a lot of stress that gets added to it as well, which is oh, yeah. very tough to balance. Uh, but no, I want to I want to circle back on the fact that you said, you know, networking and researching is are two of kind of the biggest things uh, and that others in, you know, a similar situation are always willing to help. Uh, when I first started the podcast, um, I always like to bring up Peter McCormick. I, you know, I disagree with a lot of what he does personally and his views, but he was very helpful when I reached out. He was like, hey, I can I can answer any questions that you have. Like, My DMs are always open. Uh, you can shoot me an email when you need. So he was super helpful. Uh, and now that I'm kind of a little ways into the process and am now finally profitable, um, people have been kind of hitting me up. Hey, how do I start this? What's some good software here? And I am always willing to help. Um, so I just want to put this out there to anyone who's listening. We have, you know, 80, 80 or so episodes that have been put out. Every one of those entrepreneurs or traders is more than willing to help. I think on every single episode, they've said, my DMs are open. People can reach out. Uh, so if you've listened to an episode or two, you can scroll through the list, look for ones that you know you are kind of interested in, and I promise you that person will be more than willing to answer any of your questions. Drew, I'm sure you're willing to do the same. I know you've become a little oh. bit more busy, uh, but I'm I'm assuming that you're still willing to help, right? Oh, absolutely, and that's one of the things too is you know if I can't help you, I've probably got four or five people I can refer you to that that can. So that's the other thing too is. Anyone that you talk to, even if it's not someone that you, it's a random insurance agent that you're talking to, it's not someone that you even expect to get business from, 
they probably know someone that could either benefit from your services or want to connect and network with you. There we go. Um, yeah, I was going to say, I could, I, I, I put a tweet out not too long ago. I was like, hey, I could probably connect you with someone who can help you if I can't help you myself. Uh, the right. network, especially in the crypto scene, because it's very small. Uh, a lot of people are kind of overlapping and, you know, there's there's someone who knows somebody who can help you. Um, Absolutely. But I, I appreciate you coming on. I think that was pretty much everything on kind of starting a business fundraising. Uh, you know, there's a, a million other things that we probably could have talked about. Uh, but, you know, we're coming up on 40 or so minutes. Want to keep it somewhat short. Uh, yeah. So is, is there anything else you want my audience to know before we go? Um, just like I said, do the research and obviously, you know, shameless plug, tax season's coming up. Take it seriously. Your tax professional will appreciate you way more if you get everything to him way before the April 15th deadline. Um, you know, and, and if it's April 16th, don't don't call your tax person. Just let them be. They're probably sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. This is you kind of pushing me to get my shit together and sent over to you, isn't it? I, I'm not saying I am or I'm not, but I'm not saying uh, that I wouldn't be. <laughs> you would be stoked if I got it to you by the end of the month. Oh, um, man. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No, perfect. If anyone has any tax needs, uh, I worked with Drew last year. He was actually able to get me a pretty nice return. Uh, so if you're looking for somebody I can recommend personally, Drew, you can reach out to him. I'll have his Twitter. I will have his email. I will have his website. Uh, it'll all be in the description below. Please feel free to reach out to him, even if it's not necessarily about him doing your taxes. Uh, if you need help with anything, he's very helpful. Um, and again, Drew, thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming on and taking the time. Yeah, anytime. All right, that wraps up another episode. Thanks for tuning in, guys. I just want to take a quick second to remind you to leave us a review and subscribe to the show. We would greatly appreciate it if you did. And we look forward to seeing you next episode.